Welcome back, everybody, to Prescribing Truth. I'm Jamal Bandy. This is your first time tuning in on YouTube as I do live every Sunday at 6 p.m. Please remember to subscribe. And if you like this content, please like it and share it. I greatly appreciate it. Also available on various um, podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Please leave a review as that really helps me out to know what you guys think. And I do look at the comments. Please do so. I greatly appreciate it as well. If you want to contact me, you could do so by emailing me at prescribed.truth at gmail.com. Or you can call me at 801-980-6333. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash prescribed truth. For anywhere from a dollar and up, I greatly appreciate it. Helps me out a lot. Um, what I've started doing right now is... We're working towards getting the studio ready. I've already started ordering supplies. I cleaned out that area, cleared it off, swept it out. So it's ready to start work. So I'm, I'm greatly excited about that. And I couldn't have gotten started with that without the support of my patrons. So if you'd like to join in, in that support, I greatly appreciate it. If not, I appreciate your prayers. On today's show, for the past two weeks now, I've been dealing with the subject about forgiveness to others who have been unrepentant and I want to make that clear again this issue is about whether we forgive people who are unrepentant all right not just withholding forgiveness just because but those who are unrepentant now just to give you a brief run through of my journey through this subject when I first did this subject um, a couple weeks ago, I was in the middle. I was on the fence. I wasn't definitive as far as where I stood. But after more research, after prayer, after seeking counsel from other brothers, even the elders of my church, I've come to a definitive conclusion that it makes sense biblically that we're told that, hey, when someone repents, is when we offer forgiveness, whenever we give forgiveness, and we should be ready to forgive people who are repentant. But there's nowhere in scripture that tells us that we are to forgive just because, even those who are unrepentant. And we talked about last week, as I was giving my definitive position on this, that in the in the event that bitterness sets in and and um, venge, vengeful behavior or um, heart motives begin to set in in us. Well, the scripture tells us what to do with that. And it says that vengeance is the Lord's and that he shall repay. And so the responsibility of the believer is even if someone is unrepentant, in order to deal with bitterness in our own hearts, we should go to the Lord and remember to give that to the Lord and trust him to deal with an individual who has wronged us, whether it be that they end up paying for their own sins in the end or that Christ will have saved them and took their sins on their behalf. That's, you know, either way, vengeance is the Lord's and he will repay. All right. So we should trust the Lord with our bitterness, with our uh, resentment and all those things. We should give that to God. All right. And even in that, we can then go to someone that we are feeling that bitterness for and ask them to forgive us for the bitterness that we have towards them. Even though we may have a reason because of the unrepentant nature of their hearts, but you know, we shouldn't let 
bitterness set in us. We're not, we're called not to be bitter towards people. All right. And as much as it does, as much as it's possible with us to live peaceably, peaceably with all men. All right. That's biblically speaking. And so <clears throat> in the midst of having this, um, going through this discussion, I received um, a comment or a message on Facebook Messenger on my prescribed truth page. And um, the guy, I want to say his name was uh, Macias. And I, you know, if I say, if I pronounce your name, I'm sorry. If I mispronounce your name, I'm sorry. But he sent me a message. And it was very, I mean, a very respectful message. I mean, no, no ill will, or any of that kind of stuff. It's just really just giving a question, giving some pushback on how he felt about the content. And I wanted, and I said to him, and I told him that I would address it on the show in case I didn't have time to email or message him back with a complete answer to him. Um, as you all know, if you haven't um, known me um, as long, let me tell you, I do, I, I have struggled with writing long messages <laughs> um, on Facebook and, and comments and stuff like that. I'd rather talk it out or talk about it. So um, during the time I was out of town with my family, so wasn't able to call him up and, let's, and have a conversation about it. So um, I said I'll address it on the show. And so here we are. Now, um, we had a we had a few words of exchange um, on this subject, so I don't I don't know I don't think I'm gonna go through everything that um, everything that was said in between, but I will give the last point because when I told him I would address it, um, he asked me to keep some things in mind and kind of summarize his his thought process, and so that's what I address without going through going through everything. All right. So he tells me this, this is um, on the, this is yesterday, that it looks like I might not make the podcast, but I will definitely listen to it later, if you can fit it in. He said, please address, and so this is what he wants me to address, Jesus saying, it is finished, all right, while on the cross, and what that meant for the believer, if the believer is forgiven for sins, past, present, and future, what would it profit for us to withhold forgiving one another when God has already forgiven them? And that would mean, guys, that's a great question. It's a good question. Matter of fact, it reminds me of how I was seeing it a couple weeks ago. The, the questions that popped in my mind. You know, how do we deal with this when the Bible does say that our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future? Our uh, trespasses, being nailed to the cross, the certificate of our debt, being taken out of the way out at the cross. I remember doing a, a Saturday subscriber chat where I was going through Colossians 2 and just broken, just broken over God's grace in the, heart of, in the lives of a believer. And I know I was just amazed at God's grace, his faithfulness and his sovereignty over our salvation. So this question resonates with how I was feeling a couple weeks ago. But I asked him this. Well, I asked, well, this is what I said in response. And I said, that's too bad, fam. And I was talking about him as far as not being able to make the live stream. I said, that's too bad, fam. And I will address it, though. I think this can be dealt with if we consider Matthew 18. Because remember, his question is, in the life of a believer, if, if we're already forgiven in Christ, then how can we withhold forgiveness? 
because we're forgiven in Christ. And I said, well, we should consider Matthew 18. Why practice church discipline if the person is forgiven in Christ already? And I remember this was the same question that Brother Steve, uh, Steve had, um, had shared with me as me and him dialogued from Stop and Think About It. And I had to think about it. And I said, and my answer was the same answer that Brother McKeas gave me. And this was his answer to me. He said, bro, he said, that's church business. Kind of taking that text a little out of context. It's called church discipline. He, and he, um, he capitalized church, all caps. That's church discipline, the body. He says, that individual sin affects the body. You're forgiven a person who wronged you individually is for you as you are the one that's being that's that has been offended go back to the lord's prayer then he says question if you curse someone out out of anger and suddenly die without repenting are you going to hell and he asked that question and then he just then after that he was like hey i'm gonna check you out later and i said cool and i asked him have a good night so i'm gonna address all this all right so i get him i get him but there are a couple of things we're missing here a couple of things so what I'm going to do, and I think it's fair that I do, is that we read Matthew 18. And his question is dealing with a believer. A valid question because, as we know, believers are forgiven in Christ. If you are a true born-again Christian, you can't lose your salvation, right? You can't be seen as an unbeliever. You are a believer. You, you can't lose it, all right? So let's, let's, let's look at Matthew 18, all right, because that's what we're dealing with. Now, I want to be, be fair to the text, all right? So Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, that's where we're at. It reads, and this is from the NASB version. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Now, there, it, there's a no notation here that says in later manuscripts, it adds against you. All right. So that implies that in the original language, there wasn't a thing there that said against you as far as what we read in text. Now, I know that goes into an issue of textual criticism. Um, that, I, that's something I want to get into deep right here. Just want to be fair to the text. So reading it as it says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Now, the point here is that it doesn't, it doesn't specify whether it's to you individually or to a group of people. But what it does show is that this isn't church business. This is an individual brother who has sinned. Sinned. And so even when someone offends you, it should be that they sinned against you, right? I shouldn't be mad at my brother or sister because they happen to be talking loud or they're doing something that's, I would think, that's irritating, because the Bible says love is not irritable. So it, it shouldn't be something that's just irritating me that offends me. It shouldn't be my personal preferences that offends me. If I'm offended by another brother, it, it needs to be. It must be, according to the scripture, because there has been sin involved. My brother or sister has sinned. They have sinned, particularly against me. But the scripture says, if they have sinned, all right? Now, given the context 
of this text, I can see why the where it says sinned against you is implied because it says that you go to them in private. But this would go, but this same thing will happen on any case. If my brother sins in general, I should pull them aside in private and talk to them, confront them. All right. That's what we should do. But so it says, if your brother sins, go and show him his faults in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. So this is not even dealing with the church yet. But because this is a brother who is sinned, this is supposed to be a fellow believer. This is a believer. All right. Obviously, somebody that you're able to do life with, somebody that you know locally, that you see locally, that you're able to pull them to the side and have a conversation with them. Right. So this is this would imply this is talking about, hey, someone who is in a local fellowship with you, even though we know this scripture can be applied elsewhere as well. He says, if he listens to you, you have won your brother. That word listens isn't that he just heard you, that he just heard you audibly tell him this fault. Listens means that he actually takes heed. There's remorse there. There's repentance there. And then it says you have won your brother. The verse 16 says, but if he does not listen to you, that means there's no heeding. There's no repentance. Take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. All right. And that's quoting Old Testament. That's quoting a, that's quoting an Old Testament verse that deals with someone who has an accusation against someone else. That every accusation that with every accusation, there must be a witness of at least two or three in order for that to be established. And so here now your offense is now just between you and that individual. But now when you get one or two more, it is now witnessed between two or three witnesses. Now, also, once again, this not just signifies church business. Like Jesus didn't specify, hey, this is only for the church. This is in general. Your brother sins. But this is practice should be practiced in your church. That's why we say that this is a, a biblical example of church discipline, because this way this what should happen in your local churches when there's sin involved. And notice that this this doesn't give us time frames. It doesn't say, hey, you've gone to them one time. And then once you go to them that one time and they didn't hear you, now you get two or three the next day. And then when they don't listen to that person the next day, then you go to the church. Jesus, isn't, he's not giving us days in between saying, OK, Hey, tomorrow, go get two or three. If you don't listen to you, then go the next day and take it before the church. That's not what he says. You know, so that's not what's implied here as well. So you, this can this can be something. This will be a process that can last for days, weeks, months even. So from then it says, verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them. Now we get church business. Now it's church business. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, keep this in mind. There's something as I wrestle with with this concept as well. Now, once and I, and I said this is this is what this is what my argument was uh, a couple weeks ago. Well, this is right here. You can't, I, I said this, you can't use Matthew 18. Just like Macias had accused me of, of misusing the text, I felt the same way. I felt like that's a misuse of Matthew 18 because Matthew 18 is for the purity of the church. 
is for purifying the church because the church is supposed to be made up of believers, right? And at the end of this whole thing, if the person is unrepentant, it's obvious that they're not a believer. So let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So to you, they are now an unbeliever. All right. So this is for the purity of the church, of, of Christ's body. And I, and I understand that. Right. And I believe that. And I still believe that concerning this. But check this out. The start of this, the start of this whole thing is because one individual sinned, period. There was an offense. And if they are a believer and if they are already a Christian, right, with their sins forgiven, past, present and future, then why would this even matter? Why would this even matter? Why would it matter if he didn't listen to you the first time? Why would Jesus say, then go and get two or three more witnesses? And then if the person refused then, why would Jesus say, go and tell it before the church? And why then let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector? Where's the just, where's the simple forgiveness here? Where's the forgiveness? It's not there. It doesn't say if your brother sins, show him his fault. And if he, if he doesn't listen to you, forgive him. It's showing us like there's no forgiveness here because the person has not repented. Because look what Jesus says here in Matthew 8, Matthew 18, verse 18. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall, ha shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loose in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or three, well, I'm sorry, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. So God bears witness as well as those who are there in dealing with this individual. And he's not behaving. He's not bearing fruit as a believer. It's true that he may not be saved. And that's what the text has given us. That's what it's given us. And so even so, in the same sense as a personal attack that somebody has against you, a personal offense where sin has been committed. If you go to an individual who is a believer and you tell them their fault, a believer will have no problem with wanting peace with his brother and saying, brother, forgive me. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Where there's sin involved, where there's apparent sin involved, but in the event where a brother will not repent, where they will not confess, then you bring a witness. Bring a witness to talk about that issue, that sin. Right? The issue that's, that's brought this all about. And they need to heed to them, the witnesses, because now the witnesses can either do one or two things. The witnesses can confirm that the individual in question has truly sinned and needs to repent. Or the witnesses will confirm that the one accusing the one of sin is bearing false witness and they need to repent. That's what the witnesses are for. That's what they're for. And now once the witnesses have established that the person is indeed in sin it goes before the church. If that person still refuses to repent, now it goes before the church. And if they still refuse to repent after being admonished by a local body of believers who are able to do life with this individual, to visit them, to talk with them, 
once they once they refuse repentance, then what else can we do? Jesus tells us, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Sinner, an unbeliever. That's what that's talking about. So that's how that text is used. So it's not taking it out of context to ask the question, if all we're supposed to do is forgive people when there's unrepentant sin, then why do we practice church discipline? Why do we practice church discipline? We should just forgive when people do wrong and they're unrepentant. You got a sister in the church, a brother in the church who hurts his wife. You know, hurts his wife. He's, he's abusive to his wife. Wife comes before the elders. Let's the elders know my husband is abusive towards me. And the elders meet with that brother and they confront him and he refuses to stop. Why not they why do they not just forgive him? Why do they tell the wife just forgive him? Because we gotta think about what forgiveness entails. Forgiveness means that it's taking out of the way, not not held up against the person any longer. That's what forgiveness is. Think about the forgiveness that we receive from the Lord. If we're truly in Christ, God says he'll bring our sins before us no more. No more. They're thrown away. They're thrown out. As, as the scripture says, they're taken out of the way, having been nailed to the cross. That's what forgiveness does. So if we say we forgive someone, that means we're willing to say that we're not going to bring this up anymore. Anymore. At all. Can't even, can't, even bring, can't even bring a charge to them any longer because I have forgiven them. But you can't do that with someone who's unrepented. Because the issue is still at hand. It's still there. You know, and so it makes sense. The transaction of forgiveness, and think about this. As Christians, though our sins, our trespasses have been atoned for on the cross, we haven't that transaction of forgiveness hasn't taken place until we're born again. Because it's when we're born again that we repent. Because the Father grants us repentance. It's when that happens, when we're born again, because like the Bible talks about our sinful nature, we will not submit to God. We won't. We won't repent apart from our hearts being changed. So us repenting and being able to receive that transaction for that to take place of our forgiveness of our sins, it could not happen to us naturally. It had to be supernatural. The Lord had to do it in our hearts. So it's not the same when we're dealing with another individual, another person who's being sanctified. Or even unbelievers, you know, it's not it doesn't happen the same because we're not able to to go into their hearts and change their hearts and make them repent, like the Lord can do to us. We're not able to do that. We trust that the Lord has turned the individual's heart to repent of sin, so we go to them. But if they have a heart of unrepentance, then that's fruit of an unbeliever. Now, I'm not saying sometimes as believers we struggle with repenting we can struggle with it right but it won't last that's why i believe this that's why i believe matthew 18 is not talking about a moment i don't think it's talking talking about a moment of of unrepentance like okay you've gone to them and they don't repent okay now you're just gonna give up on the person like no i believe it's it's over time it's constantly going to the individual hey man hey you you i'm still hurt by this and they still like, man, get over it, man. What? Why you still? Why you still on that, man? Get over it. 
I think that's what it's about. It's, it's a continual showing of unrepentance, a continual showing of a lack of love. And Jesus said, you will know those who are mine by the love that they show one to another. It will be loving for a brother or sister to know, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. Please forgive me for offending you. You know, even if they, even if it was unintentional, right? That's the heart of a believer. So I, that's what that's why I don't, I don't think this is a misuse of the text. I don't. I believe that Matthew 18 is clear that this is when someone sins. It's not just church business. It will be brought before the church, but it's not just church business. So I think that's a clear distinction that we must make. We must make. All right. Let me pull it back up. So he says, um, address also when Jesus says it is finished. And I, I think I kind of addressed it already, but that it was the atonement happened at the cross. But see, this is the thing that that atonement is for believers only. I don't believe that not nail drop. And I say not nail, not nail drop of Christ's blood was shed in vain. Every drop of his blood was shed for a born again believer who will come to know him and trust in him, his elect. I firmly believe that with scriptural proof and evidence. I believe that. So when he says it is finished, it was finished on the cross. That's why there's nothing we have to add to our faith in Christ and his sacrifice in order to be saved. We don't have to add anything to that. But don't be fooled. The scriptures tell us that we must, as Christians, to make our calling and our election sure that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because it is possible that for us to be deceived. We can be self-deceived, thinking, thinking that we're truly in Christ when we're not. Take Matthew 7, for instance. The individual that Jesus gives us, as far as an example, shows that a person can live a life proclaiming Christ, saying, Lord, Lord, yet lose their soul. Why? Because they've never was his sheep. Not that he that he was and then wasn't, but that he was never Christ's sheep. Never. Because Jesus said, I never knew you. Christ didn't say, I know you and I don't know you no more. He said, I never knew you. That's important. All right. So it, it, it is finished on the cross. We don't have to add anything else. All right. He says, if the believer is forgiven for past, present, and future sins, what would it profit for us to withhold forgiving one another when God has already forgiven them? And the question then I would ask is, we don't know. See, this thing, every brother or sister that I come in contact with on this earth, I look at the fruit that they bear, and I can, I can examine that fruit. I can examine what I see. And from that, I can gather, you know what? They may be a believer. But when you come to that individual with a sin that they have exhibited or done and they refuse to repent, that should show that should throw up warning signs that they may not truly be a believer. Once again, I said not just for a moment, not for a momentary weakness, but over a course of time, a pattern. You see a pattern develop. It should throw up a red flag that they may not be a believer. So, yes, they are forgiven if they are truly in Christ. But those who are truly in Christ will repent and will 
and will love their neighbor as themselves, will love their brother. They will. It's not an if and a but about it. The Lord will convict them. They will turn. They cannot go on being unrepentant. Period. Period. All right. And that and that's what we that's what we got to think about, guys. And that's what I want us to consider as we wrestle through this. So we're not talking about withholding forgiveness because we're so proud of ourselves. Like, oh, I'm good and I'm better than someone else that I don't I don't have to forgive you. Like, no, the Bible tells a Christian just like uh, in Luke 17, three, we're supposed to be ready to forgive when someone comes at us and they know that they have sinned against us and they are repentant. We should be ready to forgive 70 times seven in one day. 70 times seven. In one day, be ready to forgive and not withholding forgiveness. But when someone's unrepentant, then we are not to forgive because Christ doesn't forgive people who haven't been repentant. Think about it. There's no one who will be saved on this earth who hasn't repented of their sins, period. But we're thankful that it is Christ, it is God who grants us repentance, but no one will be saved on this earth without repenting think about that for a moment then his next thing he says think about the lord's prayer and he says if you curse someone out out of anger and suddenly die without repenting are you going to hell i think Machias here has an issue here dealing with soteriology as far as dealing with how a person is saved see i think the person if you're truly born again if you're truly born again if you're in christ and if you happen to cut someone out and you die, I believe that you'll still go to heaven. I still, I think you still go be the Lord. Once again, we're sinners. That we're like we still we're being sanctified. We're not perfect. That's misunderstanding what it is to be saved. What it means to be saved. What does Hebrews eleven, Hebrews chapter eleven, verse one tell us? This faith that we hope for, haven't seen. But we're hoping for it. It's the evidence of things not seen. Right? So this then this inheritance, this, this the Holy Spirit who indwells us, teaches us to renounce ungodliness. But we're not perfect. You don't no Christian should preach about sinless perfection because they'll be lying to you. If a Christian tells you that they don't sin anymore since they've been born again, they are a liar to you, a liar. They're, they're, they don't have the truth. But there's a difference between having a moment of sin and living a life of sin. There's a difference. There's a difference. To the one who practices sin, there's no light in him. That's what that's what first John talks about. The difference between those who are who are sons of God and those who are sons of the devil. There's a difference. All right. And the Bible says if we do sin, we have an advocate with the father. Believer, you have an advocate with the father. Why would why would God put that in his word if we don't we don't sin no more once we've been born again? Praise God for his spirit to teach us. To teach us to renounce ungodliness, that grace of God that we don't deserve. But his grace is in God's grace that he even shows us where we're weak, shows us where we're moving astray. 
praise God. So this should help us. This should help us to understand salvation is of the Lord, not on anything we do. If you could lose your salvation, you would. I know that's like a cliche saying, but it's true Like we would lose it because it's impossible, uh, impossible for us to keep God's law perfectly impossible. So I want to take a moment right quick to, to switch gears. If you want to know more about prescribed truth, please visit the website www.prescribedtruth.com. You can access the podcast there. Matter of fact, my podcast goes there first. So you can be able to hear the podcast before anybody else does when it drops on Monday afternoon sometime. So you'll be able to hear the podcast as early as 2 a.m. Yes, you will. So you can visit the podcast there. You can also access the YouTube channel via the website, as well as you can see an admission statement um, and you can see what I believe and what I hold to as far as this ministry concerns and um and find out ways to contact me as well as donate if you would like to so please check it out um let me know what you think about it any change you think that'd be beneficial i greatly appreciate it but please visit take the time to visit the website at www.prescribetruth.com all right so real quick i wanted to throw this out there as i took the break and i was dealing with the comments on youtube uh Brother Steve from Stop and Think About It really uh, brought something out that I need to address here on the show. When we're talking about withholding forgiveness because someone is unrepentant, I want to be clear to anyone who's listening, in case you've thought about this at any time during this show, I am not pushing for anyone to be unkind to others and be unloving. We're called as believers to be loving to our neighbor, to love our neighbors as ourselves and we're called to be kind that's one of the fruits of the spirit kindness gentleness patience self-control you know so don't miss don't misunderstand withholding forgiveness for being ugly towards somebody that is not what we do that is not what you should do as a christian all right so we're talking about as far as there being reconciliation of a relationship that's broken and you think about what happens because of our sin because of our sin we are at enmity with god the relationship is broken between man and god until there's repentance until we the the, the sins are atoned for which they're atoned for in christ but when we're granted repentance we are reconciled to god all right so we're talking about relationships being mended once they are broken all right, because of sin. Once again, this isn't because somebody who happened to irritate you, um, do something that you may not have preferenced, um, or whatever the case may be, but this is dealing with someone who has sinned, whether it be against you or in general, somebody who has sinned. All right. And so we want to make that clear. We gotta make that clear. And if you are a believer, you will repent. You will repent of that sin. All right. All right, so that's that's what will happen, and that's why you're supposed to bring two or three witnesses. If a, well, if a person refuses to repent, bring a witness to discuss that said sin, and therefore those witnesses can confirm or deny whether or not the accusation is valid. All right, so that's what we talked about when we looked at Matthew 18. All right, so and this is and this is y'all. This is this is one of the reasons why it is so vital and so important that we be a part of a local body of believers. That is so vital, so important, man. You can't get this 
any, you can't get this from having distant relationships with people. Like I have brothers that I know who live miles away, miles away. And then to a level, to a certain degree, they can hold me accountable. But it's nothing like a brother who's able to come to me, pull me aside, come to my house and knock on my door when I'm trying to avoid them <laughs> and, and, and talk to me, pull my coattails, say, hey, man, you know, that, that was wrong. No, you was wrong with that. You was wrong about that. You know what I'm saying? And, and then if I refuse, then it, the witnesses will ever come with them. And then if not, I can be brought before the church, been brought before my church. You know what I'm saying? And at that point, the membership that I, not, that I now have with my current local body can be taken away because if I'm acting as if, a, as if I'm an unbeliever, then I'm not truly a member of Christ's church. And that's where you have church discipline. All these things are important for the sanctification of believers. And it's, and it's, a, it's a means of grace, a means of grace. So don't take it as somebody being harsh towards you if there's no forgiveness because you, there, there have been no repentance. Don't, don't, take it, don't take it as somebody, as somebody trying to be ugly towards you if that's the case. You know, they should not be ugly towards you, right? It should not be ugly and, and vengeful, all right? But they should be giving you to the Lord. You know, if and let's think about. I know we spent this show talking about mainly with other believers, right? But let's talk about unbelievers, unbelievers for a moment. What do you do when an unbeliever has sinned against you? And that was one of my questions. Like, okay, we talked about believers, but what about unbelievers when they've sinned against you, and you go to them? Well, the Bible tells us that the carnal mind does not understand the things of the Lord, and forgiveness is a God concept. Restoration and reconciliation is a God concept. It's spiritually discerned. True forgiveness only comes from the spirit of the Lord. And we can't truly forgive. We can't truly forgive someone apart from having God's spirit. We can't truly be repentant apart from having God's spirit. So when you go to an unbeliever, your main concern should be that they know the Lord, not that they've wronged you. Because if they sinned against you, if they truly sinned, and it's not against you that they sinned, they sinned against a holy God. And it's only to God alone that they should be seeking forgiveness from. So that, was, that should be the focus if you're dealing with an unbeliever. But when you're dealing with a fellow believer, someone who should know, who should have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside them, who causes them to do what's right, then it should be that they should turn. But when they don't, and it's a pattern that's forming over a period of time, it may show some warning signs that they may not be a believer. It may not be. Not saying they aren't, but they may not be. And that's why you should continually keep them in prayer and continually go to them. Don't give up. Don't give up. You know, we're not told to shake the dust off our, off our feet against believers. We're not told that in Scripture. We were told that with, with unbelievers when, we, when Jesus sent, those, sent his disciples out and people who didn't receive them to shake the dust off their feet. That was to those cities that they've gone into, those towns. But when it comes to dealing with fellow believers in conflict, we're not told to shake the dust off our feet with believers. You know, saying continually pray for them. You know, go to them. You know, that's what we should do. Reconcile, seek reconciliation. So, with that being said, um, I thank you for joining me on this episode of Prescribing Truth. Um, as we responded to Brother Macias' uh, comments, I do hope, brother, that you do hear this. And if you uh, want to further contact me, you're welcome to do so. 
And I hope this has been encouraging to you and helpful to you as well as anyone else who's listening to this. Um, if you've been dealing with or struggling with this subject, um, feel free once again to reach out to me. You can call me at 801-980-6333. You can email me at prescribed.truth at gmail.com. All right. So I, I look forward to you guys' feedback. Remember, in a world full of errors, the only thing the doctor prescribes is truth. Join me next week, next Sunday, God willing, for another edition of the Prescribing Truth Podcast at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you. God bless. Prescribe truth. We're giving you what the doctor ordered. Jamal Bandy, apologist, the Lord's servant. We undeserve it, but Christ changed our mind frame. In a world full of errors, the only thing the doctor prescribes is truth.